Welcome to China Tech Talk, the almost weekly podcast about technology and startups here in China. I am John Artman, editor in chief of Techno.com, joined as always by Matthew Brennan, founder of China Channel. So, so Matt, when was the last time、uh, you used a Mobike or or an Ofo?、Um, yesterday, I think, or the day before, maybe the day before. Uh, I used one. Yeah, I, I would go into the subway. So, yeah, you're you're a much more av- avid user than I am. So, was was it a Mobike or an Ofo?、Uh, I always use Mobike. I I only use an Ofo if I have to because they're always broken. They're like,、uh, <laughs> which I think we'll we'll get into later on. Like Ofos, just and they've always been that. Like when we were discussing them, we so we used to talk about Mobike and Ofo a lot when it was really really hot, and I I would always like、mm. talk about Mobike a lot more because like Ofo is just. Anyway, we'll get into it later. I'm not a big fan of Ofo. <laughs> right. I think, I, but I can say、right. that publicly now. <laughs> Whereas before, I, I, I felt like it was, probably wasn't appropriate. Well, didn't 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 want to dump. Well, it, probably now dumping on them is even worse, right? Like you're just digging. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah,、exactly. okay, it's, it's, it's true. Yeah. yeah, as a user. You know, in, I was actually、um, so I just wrote a piece about mobility in China, and I was looking back at、uh, some of the episodes that we did, and so it's actually funny because you know we started off talking, I think the first like two or three episodes, or the first like two or three out of the first five、uh, were about bike、uh, sharing, bike rental,、uh, I think, which is it's it's more appropriate、uh, name. But so DD has been in the news、uh, quite a bit recently. So I took a look at what was happening with、uh, with DD, and and the thing is, I think that for for Technode's audience in, in in particular, we try not to assume too much knowledge.、Uh, I think there's there 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 has been times where we've written things that are a bit too kind of insidery, and, and what we're really trying to aiming to do is is really kind of broaden out and、uh, and really you know. Act as a way to inform people about what's happening in China, and so one of the things that I find myself doing is now that I'm writing more often, I end up writing a lot of history, and it's funny too because I almost went into、uh, to history for my bachelor's. But I think that that, that context is really important.、Uh, I think that understanding kind of how we got here, or maybe not you and I, but I mean you know the how how certain things、uh, have developed, I think is really really important.、Uh, because if you just take things at face value, it is how it is, then you're kind of lost in this in this you know timeless、uh, void where everything is changing, but there's it, it's it's impossible to figure out why, or even maybe、uh, kind of understand where where we're going. Yeah, yeah, totally agree.、Uh, before this podcast, I was spending my time writing、uh, writing part of my book, which is actually a history, right? Like, so in my head right now, just before recording, I'm like going deeply into sort of like 2009, two thousand nine, no, sorry, two thousand five, two thousand six. Wow, what was happening there in in, in Chinese、uh, internet space? And、uh, wow, so different. Yeah, I mean, and it really does help、no, yeah. you appreciate.、Um, What today a lot more if you know the history if you know where things come it does、uh, it just allows you to see repeating patterns I think is really important and、mm. um, understand how companies are formed you know in the first few years of all these major companies there's usually events that really have a huge impact on their culture and really helps you understand why they are the way they are and certainly that's the case I think with、uh, with what I'm doing with the book with, with going back for. For、uh, WeChat and Tencent's history, yeah, definitely, and and I think that Tencent is a really good example as well, because you know Tencent they haven't always been this powerhouse that 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 we know them as. There were a few、uh, defining moments for them, and it's because of those moments, because of those decisions, very strategic decisions, that they are kind of kind of where where they are. And I think that's true of of a lot of different companies. I mean, Apple obviously is 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 a big one, but then the ones that that we want to talk specifically about today, Ofo and and DD. I think that in the case of Ofo, there were some clear strategic errors, and I, and honestly, I think that they've shown a pattern of. Strategic blindness in in a, in a lot of senses, and and with with DD, I think is kind of they they've certainly had、uh, a lot of、uh, problems, but also I mean they're an extremely scrappy company.、Mm. Um, I think that you know along with with a company like Huawei, you know DD, they've shown time and time again that they can really survive and pull through、uh, challenges that the company faces, and and now according to、um, you know if we look at kind of what's happening with them now, but then also. Uh, internal and external messaging. What DD is going through, they see it as existential. 
So they, it's been reported that uh, that they lost 11 billion RMB in, in 2018. Uh, they're going to be laying off uh, up to 2,000 people. They've basically uh, confirmed this. But then they've also said that they're going to be hiring another 2,500, mostly to focus on South America and to focus on uh, improving the safety of, of, their, of their product. So I think that you know you really kind of look at companies and there there are these there are definitely these moments and and for DD it's it's in the middle of one one right now but so so when I was doing my research you know really kind of looking back at at what things were like uh, before DD and QuaiD came about, mm. you know, it's really kind of funny because it wasn't until you know smartphones really started to become affordable around the time that Xiaomi really started pushing affordable uh, smartphones, and Oppo and Vivo began to 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 really create more more affordable phones that the mobile revolution and things like DD could could really really kind of gain any steam. And even then I remember that, you know, this was a time when smartphones and, and smartphones were becoming more popular. The but the you know the, the overall rate of adoption was still fairly low. And you know, people were were really kind of wondering about like DD and QuaiD of like, okay, so it's already hard enough to to catch a cab. So in it, now, if you have a smartphone, if you're an advantaged individual who has enough money or the wherewithal to buy a smartphone, well, then you're somehow advantaged over someone someone who who does not. And you know, that type of conversation is just completely uh, irrelevant at this point because everyone, almost everyone, has has a smartphone. Sure. Well, I think DD. Didi and Kwaidi were have had this sort of hot period of competition in I think 2013, 2014, I think it was, when uh, and a, a large part of it was was mobile payments, was um actually the for the WeChat wallet when it was launched in uh, I think August 2013. When WeChat Pay launched, it didn't have any use cases. Like the it wasn't taken, you couldn't go into a store and use WeChat Pay in 2013. Very few places. Almost none, and um, and ride sharing was actually one of the first use cases, and it was a, a popular use case because, well, basically there was only two big vendors, so for ten cent to go and talk to just basically two companies, they could reach most of this market, and also it was new and, and cool and exciting, and well, the the big reason was it was just heavily subsidized. Like you could, there was a period in China where you could. It was it was easier and cheaper to get a, a DD or a QuaiD than it was to take the subway. It was just ridiculously cheap, and um, and those subsidy that subsidy war really what drove a lot of mass adoption uh, of mobile payments at the beginning, and also of just general like O to O services. It was really the beginning of O to O. I think I mean, yeah, May Twain as well. May Twain and Ping was was definitely around, but yeah, it, you know, ride hailing had a, a huge impact on 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 mobile payment adoption for sure. Yeah, definitely. And I remember even when I first started using one of them, either DD or QuaiD, uh, it all kind of blurs together. But I mean, I was using cash at first, and then and personally, I'm I'm a bit slow to adopt some of some of these things. So I didn't actually start using WeChat Pay until maybe 2014. 2015 on a regular basis, mostly because I wanted to actually buy stuff on Jingdong instead of like having to, uh, you know, ask my wife to 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 buy things for me. I just so I set up so I got WeChat Pay set up on 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 my phone. But the, like the mobile payments was obviously a huge thing. And I think again, it's easy to forget. I mean, that's that's one of the big reasons why so much money was put into. I mean, I mean, number one, mobility. I mean, Uber had already been fairly successful in the states. Lyft had been fairly successful in the states as well. And so, mobility as kind of a kind of an industry, uh, in a certain sense, was was proven. And you know, with with mobile phones, with the you know, with more and more mobile connectivity, you know, this kind of made sense. And so, I think that you know, Cheng Wei. You know, founded the company in in 2012, very prescient to a certain degree, saying, "Look, this is actually something that that could work in China." The difference being, of course, with Didi and Kwaidi uh, versus Uber and Lyft is that they went they they actually went very very much under the radar in terms of they, they when when both platforms were launched, they launched as ways to connect uh, taxi drivers with with passengers whereas uber and lyft were private cars and and passengers which i think is really interesting if you think about how they kind of backed in, into kind of the the private car uh, car sharing industry starting off as a way really i think 
very smartly to connect the ex- existing the existing uh, transportation supply with uh, with the existing transportation demand. Hmm, that's that's an interesting point. Yeah, I didn't didn't pay too much attention to that. I think you're right. Also, at the beginning, to my understanding, there was many, many, many players attacking this opportunity. Yeah. I mean, we were very Definitely. much uh, in a stage where there was like a hundred different DDs, hundred different quaddies in the market at the beginning. Everyone piled in, a bit like Groupon. And uh, it was, you know, they had to fight it out, uh, had this tough battle to fight it out with all those guys. I mean, this was very much still in the uh, copy to China era as well, right? Where something gets hot in the States and then immediately everyone copies it. And also it's pretty low tech as well. I mean, the Mm. O2O space, you you develop an app, the technology behind it isn't, isn't super high. Uh, yeah. So all of those lend itself to a very, very fierce war. Yeah, and also, and also, I mean, you know, one of the one of the points that I make, uh, and I think this is applicable for O2O in general, uh, but doubly so for transportation, is that there was this huge mismatch between supply and demand. Mm. You know, I mean, you know, Beijing, Beijing has gotten a lot better. It's gotten so much more convenient. I mean, obviously with DD, uh, with with the uh, with the bike rentals. But then also the transportation uh, system in general has improved uh, significantly. Uh, when I first when I first moved to Beijing in two thousand and eight, you know, line ten hadn't even been built yet, and so you had line one, line two, uh, and line line five, and then line thirteen. And you know, it's not a, a convenient way to get around. I mean, definitely, it's it's. Um, Relatively efficient way to move people. It's a relatively cost-effective way to to move around the city, but you know it's not convenient. And so, and then also, if you wanted to actually take a bus, for example, I mean, before like Baidu Maps and and Auto Navi, you know, getting around Beijing on on the bus was basically impossible for me. Like you had to like know exactly what the name of the stop that you wanted to get off at, so that you could find the name of the stop on the signs. At these uh, at these different bus stops, and the the maps were almost indecipherable. I mean, at that point, I could I could my my Chinese reading was uh, was okay. I could certainly um, you know point out you know significant landmarks, but trying to figure out how do you how do you actually understand a a bus map in in Beijing was almost impossible. And then of course, c- catching a cab was so annoying. You know, basic basically it was it was law of the jungle. First come, first serve. If you, I mean, you you walk out on the street, there's someone who is uh, in front of you, and you want to make sure that you get the cab. You literally had to walk in front of them, and if they were super serious uh, and they wanted to like really kind of start start some friction, they would then walk in front of you. So it was it was really uh, inconvenient. There was a lot of friction uh, in terms of getting around, uh, and so you know what I think one of the one of the great things. I mean, say what you will, for example, of of bike rentals, but you know they've really improved people's lives in a lot of ways, and I think DD as well. I mean, my ability now as a consumer to get where I want to go efficiently and easily is so much better than so much better than it used to be. And of course, I can't I can't under I, I'm not an economist, so I don't know exactly how this is affecting the economy. But the ability to get people moving around more has to lead to uh, to higher economic activity. But then I think also, you know, at the very, very basics, just uh, quality of life. And again, that's all of O2O. You know, uh, grocery delivery. Uh, you know, in-house massages, getting getting your getting your nails done. All this stuff is is not only improving people's lives, but offering more jobs and increasing uh, over, overall economic uh, economic activity. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, the power. This is one of the great benefits of mobile, and it's not limited to China. I mean, it's a global benefit. You listen to people. Uh, around Silicon Valley area, talking about how Uber's changed the, the whole city and, and the whole area um, in a similar way to what you've just described with Beijing. I think they also have their own problems, in, which in their own way are, are, are just as bad, perhaps. Beijing, I've always felt, was particularly bad. Of all the Chinese cities that I've <laughs> lived in, Beijing, I always felt, was basically by far the worst. Yeah, I mean, I've lived in quite a few places in China yeah. over like 15 years. And I was—I would say Beijing is definitely, in my in my humble opinion, by far the worst. There's a, there's there's a reason that you you yeah, avoid yeah this there city. is. I mean, it's, that is one of the reasons. You know, <laughs> bad pollution, just like a huge metropolis where everything's spaced out, and you just spend so much time traveling from A to B in Beijing. I always find myself frustrated by that. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm not surprised. I think, and what you described with like people jumping in front of each other to get taxis—that's not an exaggeration. You know, that's a daily occurrence. Yeah, I mean, it, it happened to me as well all over China. You know, it was uh, it was the law of the jungle. Yeah, and so yeah, it's undeniable that things have become much easier, and um, and that's that's a real value to the economy. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely uh, in terms of time is money, right? And uh, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Instead of optimizing the, the the economy, I think the the government is is very much behind that kind of stuff. You know, I think that's one of the reasons for bike sharing, which we're going to talk about a little bit later on. More is um, why they let that go was uh, in terms of regulation, like why they were quite lax at the beginning was uh, one of the mm-hmm. reasons was that, you know it was addressing a real problem. You know, anything to address this problem, multiple problems like pollution on the one hand. Uh, and then congestion and just getting from A to B being so difficult. On the other hand, um, yes, there were lots of negative externalities, like which have been covered many times. Uh, you know, we've all seen the pictures mm. of of uh, those bike bike graveyards and and all of the um, inconvenience of of walkways being clogged up with with all of these bikes. But um, overall, it was it was when you look at it, you know, on a cost benefit analysis regarding. Getting from you know, helping people get from A to B easier, it was you know it was having an overall positive effect. I, I, I'm pretty sure it's difficult to argue otherwise, and uh, mm. and, and that's one of the reasons why it was you know so lightly regulated. Uh, not the only reason, but certainly a big factor. Yeah, and I think that that's that's always what's so interesting about uh, the technology sector in general. It is is that it is one of the um, the looser. Areas of regulation. Uh, I do think that 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 is changing to a certain degree. Maybe not in terms of regulation, but you know there are now rules on the books that require a certain number of party members at a certain level of of every company. There were uh, concerns previously that you know tech companies would have to sell a certain percentage of the company to the Communist Party of China. Uh, I don't know if if that's actually um, ever come to fruition. But I think that that one of the, one of the big things that I've noticed is that uh, China in general is becoming much much less chaotic. Um, it's becoming less of a Darwinian battle for uh, for resources and kind of how that plays out on a daily basis. Where you know, especially, and I think a lot of it is younger people uh, becoming more active. They're coming into the workplace. They're becoming you know adults and really exerting pressure on the culture. That that there is a lot more order. There's a lot. I, I honestly, I, in the last couple of years, people have become so much more polite than I ever remember. And 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 also that's that that's coming through when it comes to to regulation and and enforcement. This is this is going a bit off topic, but I think that what's really interesting is that there's there's a lot of concern about how China is using technology, and I think a lot and well, maybe not a lot, but but some of these concerns definitely are valid. But at the end of the day, I think that it's important to remember that. The, the technology that the government is supporting or pushing the development of, a lot of it is to solve existing problems. Uh, I think it's very easy to, to kind of look at what, what China is doing and say, well, this is, this is, you know, it's blanket bad. But then you, you live here for as long as you and I have lived here and you can see, you can definitely see the net positive. I remember, I think it was either you or our, our managing editor at TechNote. I was, I was talking about, you know, writing a piece about the externalization of, um, of costs from 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 bike rental, and there was that reminder of wait a second, you're right. I mean, like these companies, they were externalizing a lot of cost, but they've also improved the lives of so many people at the same time. I mean, the the benefit to consumer that that's a really big question, right? Is the benefit to to the individual consumer worth the the overall cost to society? Because with the bikes, I mean, you know, there was they were all over the place. They still are in a lot of areas, all over the place, and it's really kind of up to you know the the property management of uh, communities and you know business properties to take care of this stuff, uh, and if they don't, well, then it just kind of turns to crap, um, and it's very difficult to get around. But if they do, it's actually it's actually not so bad at all. Yeah, I think there's definitely externalities, but it, overall, it's definitely it was definitely a positive thing, and it still is today. I mean, we're talking with the recent news about Ofo. It's it's easy to think that bike sharing is just completely disappearing in China, that it's over. Um, that's not the case at all. You know, I'm here in Chengdu today. There's outside the window right now, there's there's tons of bikes out there and people are using them. You know, when I 
and when I'm looking out the window and just gazing, trying to think, you know, there's people going by all the time using these bikes. Um, and it's not, uh, to be honest, though, there are much less Ofo bikes. Um, but here in, in yeah. a tier two city like Chengdu, you know, Hello Bike has a very large presence. Uh, Didi also has bikes on the, on the street that are pretty new. And, uh, and Mobike's still here and readily available. Um, so there's, mm-hmm. there's a couple of different players still in the market fighting it out. It is still providing value to people, myself included. And I think it will continue to do so for, you know, for the medium to long term. Uh, I remember there's a quote from uh, Wang Xing uh, at their first earnings call from, from Mei Tuan. He's saying, you know, we, we don't have, yes, we're going to reduce the number of bikes on the street. We feel there's like, there's a lot to optimize there. Uh, and, and obviously they're rebranding them as well. I think it's Mei Tuan Bike now is, is, is the name, the new name. I don't know if they're going to, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. at some point they'll probably uh, add stickers to the bike or something to uh, somehow, uh, you know, repaint them i i guess um but uh yeah he's he's saying you know, these these do add a value to people's lives and um and, and we're going to stick with it it's not going to be something that we shut down you know in in the short or midterm you know we're we're definitely keeping this going and it does add a value to to uh to consumers and then we i i think it's very possible they might raise the price uh, but having said that um mm. There's still competition in the market, so uh, yeah. Um, I mean, with bike sharing, it's really the the, the big thing. The, the thing in my mind that was really strange about it was that the two market leaders should have merged, and that was just so obvious that they should have done that um, from a financial perspective, um, from you know, any way you looked at it, <laughs> pretty much that it, it was the obvious thing to do, and it just didn't happen. And I guess we could go into dissecting why that didn't happen, but um, that's the reason, you know, if it had have happened as it should have, I think we'd be in a, in a different position today and people would be looking at it in a, in a different way. Well, definitely. I think, and, and the story of Ofo in, in particular, I mean, I feel like the story of Ofo and the story of Mobike are, are quite different. Mobike has always felt, I've, I've always felt Mobike, it's, it's a very, uh, it's a business first company. And, you know, if you look at the origin story, you know, Mobike started off uh, with seasoned professionals, including one uh, ex-Uber uh, China executive. And they really started off with like with a product focus and, and they were mission driven as well. I mean, if you go back to um, our interviews with Florian, who, who was the, uh, the, he was the former uh, head of global, uh, global expansion you know, he consistently talked about how they were there to change how people in China move. They were there to provide greener forms of transportation. Whereas OFO, you never got that sense of mission. And even if you go back to their origin story, I mean, they started off on the campus of Peking University. Uh, so uh, Beijing Beijing uh, University um, here here in Beijing and Haidian. You know, they started off as literally, it was literally a bike sharing company where you have a bike, you, you're not going to be using it for a certain amount of time. So you're able to put it on the platform and let your fellow students uh, use it for, for some time for, for a fee because universities in Beijing are huge and walking around is, is not that convenient. So, 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 so there, there you can see the, 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 the big difference. And, and also, I mean, OFO, um, so I didn't actually end up including it in the, in the piece, but one of the, a, a quote that I came across back in 2016, uh, it was either Reuters or, or SCMP, you know, that one of the co-founders was like, yeah, we, and this is in, and this is in 2016. So this is only a year after they've launched. So they were founded in 2014, but launched in 2015. So only a year after they launched, they were like, yeah, wow, we had no idea the the bike rental space was going to heat up so quickly so they got the, they got investment from uh from Peking University from uh from some alumni as well as some uh, heavy hitting uh local VCs and it just really got pushed to grow and grow and grow then they were you know invested by DD by Alibaba uh Mobike was invested by by uh Tencent and I mean, really, the story of Ofo is the story of strategic blindness. There was many, many times, so not just the merger, uh, which I do want to talk about in a second, but also, you know, after they were heavily invested in by DD, DD really tried to push them 
to you know make their operations more efficient, make everything more cost effective. But the CEO uh, Dai Wei really pushed against it, and so for him it was a a point of pride. You know, he's the founder, he's the leader, uh, and so I think that that one of the big problems with them was just that the leadership just not ready uh, to run a very large company. And and now 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 we see kind of the 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 fruits of all of that. But the merger between Mobike and Ofo is really interesting because the managing uh, founder of Jin Shadyang, if I remember correctly, GSR Ventures, he was a, a major investor in Ofo and you know really really pushing for that merger with Ofo and Mobike. Um, but I think my speculation is that it was uh, another case of Tencent and Alibaba not wanting to get back into bed together. Right, because DD had been backed by Tencent, Ali uh, had been backed by by Alibaba, and then they merge into what is now what is now DD, and of course Alibaba, in a certain sense, lost lost that game because of that, and they probably didn't didn't want to have that a similar situation happen. Yeah, Alibaba definitely looked back on the um, merger of DD and Kwaidi as uh, something that they regretted. Um, I think Wang Xin's been on the record saying that. So. For whatever reason, they felt that there was a strategic mistake to to merge those two guys together. But yeah, I've heard different versions of the story of what actually happened with um, with with Ofo and Mobike, and it seems there's a lot of dirty tricks with PR going on as well, and strange articles coming out <laughs> all the time that were being placed by the seemingly being placed by investors saying different things like uh, about the companies were about to collapse or they didn't have any money or the deposits as well were, were being stolen or used for other purposes. So there's a lot of misinformation as well. But uh, one of the things that did come out was the vetoes, right? Was uh, It was quite clear that certain companies had had vetoes on decision decisions, uh, executive decisions being made and that was one of the mistakes uh, that the founders made was that they had too many uh, too many investors with vetoes uh, who had you know conflicting, not just cl- conflicting you know like Ali Alibaba with a veto, Tencent with a veto. Let's say well, I think DD was one of them, and, and that just led to this this this, this um, situation where nothing you know nothing could get done really. But even the thing is, even after uh, the merger rumors, there were even rumors after that. Well, it's like once the merger was completely nixed. There was even some some behind the door conflict between uh, DD and Alibaba. Uh, again, you know, trying to figure out okay who actually has control over this uh, and what's actually going to be done with with. At one point, DD, if I remember correctly, DD was blocking Alibaba into making more more putting more money into uh, Ofo uh, because they were they were they were worried about uh, Alibaba taking more of a controlling share or more more share and being able to have more influence. Mm-hmm. And then and then Alibaba said, "Okay, you know what? Fine, screw this." And then they invested into Hello. And as as Ofo became more and more truculent. And, and basically didn't stop listening to DD. DD said, "Okay, fine." And they they went and they bought uh, they bought they bought Blue Gogo. And so this is kind of where we where we are now, where Ofo, uh, because of these strategic errors um, and perhaps even bad luck, they 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 are where they are now. Uh, Mobike is Meituan Dantra, and the only and you know so you have you have three three players now right so mobike uh, blue gogo owned by dd and then uh, hello which is heavily backed by by alibaba and hello i think is actually a really interesting story as well because they started off they said you know what everything is going crazy in tier 1 and tier 2 cities we're going to we're going to look at smaller but still quite well developed areas. Uh, so one of the big areas, uh, Jiangsu and, and and Zhejiang, those areas in in the south, and just 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 be very strategic and how and slow, and how they ended up um, and how they expanded. Uh, and now you know they're they're backed by GGV, which is uh, a pretty big a pretty big um, um, investment firm from out of Silicon Valley. They have investments here in uh, China, but then also in in the states, um, and they have a, a really good track record as well. And so, you know, they've Hello has done very, very well uh, since kind of the 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 implosion. I mean, Mobike is obviously not as aggressive as as they used to be, but just in general, the the entire bike rental market is a lot calmer uh, than it was uh, even a year ago. Yeah, and there's still there's still action going on. I think overall, for all of this, it just shows how messy doing business can be in China. How 
there's yeah it's it, it's just a it's just a really a cluster <laughs> is the word right like it's it was what happened with with ofo was was a was a cluster it was from so many different angles it was a mess and um and the fact like you say the the real cause of it was the founders i think like with different founders it would have been a very different story they just weren't prepared and what didn't help was that uh, also going back to mobile payments both alibaba and tencent were pumping money into it not really caring well no caring but like they also had an alternative alternative motive which was to you know for to promote their own payment their own payment tools because bike sharing was um sort of a also a perfect um situation to use mobile payments because you're outside um it's high frequency and it's low cost and so that that kind of what they call payment scenario in the in the in the industry is like uh, perfect for 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 driving mobile payment adoption, which even if you you know is still a, a a big concern for these guys that they just um, they they want to drive further usage habit and just drill home um, across the entire population that um, you know to use to use AliPay or to use WeChat Pay. Yeah, and and also I mean it's not it's not just um, convenience and, and and cost. It's also I mean like the like you couldn't use the darn things unless unless you were able to. Uh, you know, scan a QR right. code and set up an account by by making a deposit via via uh, mobile payment. So I mean, it was the it's the perfect scenario uh, to to push this kind of thing. And it's really, I mean, it's really kind of cool because after that, you start to see a lot of these unmanned stores start to really gain some traction, which they've since lost uh, to a large degree. Uh, but QR codes in general just became uh, much more uh, ubiquitous, and and user habits were forming around them. To where these days, you know, they're they're where they're they're everywhere, uh, using them all the time, mostly for uh, mobile payments. But then, of course, you know, to connect with official accounts or to uh, you know get discounts and um, and things like that. Um, and for 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 Tencent, let's not forget that in the very early days of many programs. Which again, for them, big strategic thing that they really want to push. And in the early days, they were having trouble. It wasn't going well for the first half year. Mobite was the number one mini program back then, right? When they, because it was just such a perfect fit for the, you know, use like you just mentioned, you you're outside and you scan it, and you they linked it directly into the WeChat scanner. So there's these other reasons why the big guys were like pumping money into this that had nothing to do with the actual mobility market. Uh, and I think yeah. that really didn't help the whole situation at all, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, I think I think it's true. I mean, you know, I mean, it's again, it's the the boom bust cycle of China where you have, you know, I mean, VR is a great example. Artificial intelligence is a great example, where you have a Cambrian explosion of companies that are trying to do something. Uh, and you think about, I mean, like ninety percent of startups are going to fail, right? And so you look at China's speed, uh, you look at uh, the, how aggressive companies are, and how how willing they are to uh, to inflate numbers, and how 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 willing they are to uh, do what it takes to get funding. You know, there is going to be that Cambrian explosion, but then there's going to be a huge die off as well. I mean, you know, group buying. I mean, Meituan survived that. One of the only companies to actually survive. Uh, the group buying uh, uh, cycle, and now we have um, other, you know, in in bike rental, uh, DD, the only one to really survive the uh, the ride hailing cycle. Although there are, of course, other competitors um, these days. But one of the things, one of the one of the reasons that I that that I spent so much time, and that I think that we're spending so much time talking about uh, bike rental. Uh, number one, it's very fresh, I think, um, but then also for a lot of different reasons. They're they're very linked. So as you were saying, mobile mobile payments, uh, developing um, user habit around QR code, but then just mobility in general. You know, because you look at bike rentals really started to take off after Uber sold their China operations to to DD. Uh, again, you know, both Ofo and Mobike launched their services in in 2015. But it wasn't really until 2016 that we started to see a lot of a lot of traction, uh, and that's and that's around the same time that uh, that Uber was uh, sold to uh, to DD. And so my sense is that especially early stage investors, they were looking at what had happened in the uh, the ride hailing industry, and they saw that there was this actually this huge opportunity uh, in the uh, in the bike rental uh, industry, and they wanted to make sure that they were getting in. Uh, first on the ground, which is one of the reasons early stage that we did see so many other players come come in, and that we did see the uh, you know so much money going into that space. 
but yeah, then but then you know here we are today, and and the the die off is has pretty much already happened with with Ofo in the tank, um, and you know again Mobike just not just not being aggressive, which is interesting. It's, I mean, again, it just feel it feels so calm and quiet compared to uh, the way it used to be. Mm. So for the DD, if we go back to DD, what's the future looking? What's the future outlook for them right now? I mean, they get quoted as you know. TMD on the same level. Actually, you know, it's kind of interesting <laughs> to to think about that term now, TMD, right? Because I think mm. that's that's a term that started getting bandied around a couple of years ago and kind of picked up. I think it's got kind of general usage amongst uh, media and people, you know, industry analysts. But I think it's kind of falling apart, isn't it? I mean, yeah. when you look at Totiao, right? Which nobody calls Totiao anymore. They call it Bite Dance because that's actually the real name. <laughs> number one, mm-hmm. and number, they're, they're growing. They're they're stepping up a level. They're 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 really uh, doing very well. And then DD, on the other hand, is is kind of doing the opposite. It's, it's, it doesn't seem to be uh, profitable, and I don't see, you know, uh, regulation wise, it's not. It's still not very rosy. No. Where's the big growth coming? International markets are they? I mean, it's a genuine question for yeah. me. I mean, because you, you've wrote this piece and you're more up on it than I am at the moment. I haven't looked into it recently. What is DD doing for growth? So, in domestically, they're not doing much because there's not much room for growth, as you can imagine. And there's a lot of issues around safety. And so, so uh, domestically, right now, uh, it looks like th- right that right now it's mostly about consolidation, figuring out how they can you know step back on some of the growth, but then also um, improve public trust and regulator trust in 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 the platform. Whereas uh, internationally, they are they are beginning to to push a lot more into South America, in in particular, and I think it's really kind of interesting because you know their main competitor abroad is Uber. Still, even though Lyft has has given Uber uh, a run for their money uh, in the states, uh, Uber is still pretty dominant um, outside of uh, the United States. So DD, you know, they've they DD has been active in South America for some time. But it looks like this year is really where they're going to be putting a lot more effort into that. And I think it's interesting because, you know, Uber has kind of had this, this, this reputation as kind of like the bad boy of the industry coming in and, um, really disrupting regulations, disrupting, you know, how uh, traditional forms of ride hailing. Whereas DD, I mean, actually they have a pretty good track record in terms of working with regulators. And I think in a, in a, in a place like China, especially in an area like transportation, you have to. And so I think it's kind of interesting to see that, you know, that, that one of their, one of the strengths, um, for a company coming out of China, unlike, you know, complaints that we hear about other Chinese companies, um, that actually in the, in the transportation space, you know, they're probably coming out of China with a pretty good reputation for, for working with regulators. South America, though, I mean, that's a, that's a strange one, isn't it? I mean, who else is, no, no disrespect to South America, as, as uh, if, if anyone's from Brazil or Argentina listening to this, but it's not the first market, you know, it's not the most interesting market for Chinese tech companies to attack, right? I mean, uh, no. the the, uh, <laughs> the the logical would if if you're going for markets that are close to you, then you'd go to Southeast Asia. Um, if you're going for mm. big untapped markets, you'd go to India. Um, if you're going for developed markets where there's uh, customers with lots of money, you go to Europe and you go to the States. There's not too many other people looking at South mm. America, and there's probably very good reasons for that. And that doesn't speak too well to their opportunities globally. I know in South. South America, sorry, Southeast Asia, you know, we've got Grab, we've got Gojek, right? So it's kind of difficult for them to move in. Yeah. I guess that's that's pretty much the case in, in the other markets I just mentioned as well, is that, you know, ride sharing, mm-hmm. I think it goes back to to what we said earlier in the podcast. It's not very high tech. It's It's been, a, you know, once Uber took off, everyone kind of globally saw the opportunity. And I think all of the interesting markets already have, you know, players in them who are also losing money, by the way. And where does DD go from here? Well, that's, I think that's, I mean, that's a good question for the entire industry. I mean, like Uber, you know, it was, it used to be the most valuable startup in the entire world. Uh, now ByteDance is. And, you know, even with ByteDance, everyone's still asking about, like, are they really that valuable? And, you know, Uber was more valuable than, more valuable than them for, for a time. Mm. And whereas ByteDance does seem to have a real, a real business model. And I think that I mean you know the thing is like if you if you look at the way that Uber's investors uh, for a long time have looked at 
their 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 expansion. Uh, one of the big reasons that they were so willing to pour so much money into the company was because they wanted to create a monopoly. Uh, they were very they've been very clear that from the entire time that the, the whole the whole point is to expand as quickly as possible, gain as much market share as possible, burn cash uh, like there is no tomorrow, and then and then once you own the market, well then you can also control prices and and um, revenues and and overall profit margins can can be increased. Now that hasn't quite happened. The way that they, the way that they, that, that they wanted it to do, and so I think that I mean, so it's number one. Like as you said, I mean, you look at India and Southeast Asia; there are already some pretty strong players there. So Grab um, and Gojek in in Europe, you know, regulators are like, nah, <laughs> you're not, we're not, we're not, we're not dealing with this anymore. The U.S. has always been a regulatory nightmare, in particular because of the way. Our federal and and state governments are are split. I mean, we have a we have a Department of Transportation, but they're in charge of interstates. They're in charge of uh, broader kind of regulations. But then it's the Department of Vehicles in in each individual state that sets regulations. Uh, and so dealing with that, and plus, you know, the U.S. in general, it's not a very it, it, you know, if you look at the majority of the geography, it's not a it's not a, a high density place. So uh, ride hailing is a bit more difficult. And and that really just kind of leaves South America in a, in a lot of senses. I mean, there's there's Africa still, but I don't think Africa's ready for it just yet. And so South America, I think, is kind of the the, the next logical place to 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 be looking for this type of market. But but again, the big question is, I mean, where like let's say if we're looking at their home market in in, in China, where does DD go from here? Selling services to drivers. I'm pretty sure I've read stuff about that. Like they. They've got you know millions of drivers, and they've there's a special drivers app, isn't there for for DD, and they've got mm-hmm. all these kind of like extra services, whether it's car maintenance or uh, discounts yes. for for gas or petrol, etc. Insurance, financial services as well, financial yes, services, definitely. yeah, yeah, all of that kind of stuff. Certainly, that makes a lot of sense. I think definitely something they want to do. But I do, I don't see that being you know. A massive opportunity, right? It's not something that you can no. build a tech giant status on. Um, very nice business, probably, but is it? Is it? You know, does it put them on the same level as 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 as, uh, as ByteDance um, or even Meituan Dianping? Probably not. Mm. Yeah, it's the it's one of the reasons why you know VCs in the Valley have been wary of hardware for for such a long time. Is that you know? Actually, dealing with physical reality is a lot harder <laughs> than uh, than than dealing only with you know virtual uh, you know with software. Uh, I mean, you look at I mean Alibaba, Tencent, uh, Meituan Dianping, uh, Toutiao, ByteDance. I mean, they they I mean at the end of the day, their core product is is software and it's content that you can that you can access on your mobile phone. And and O two O is an important part of the economy, and it's a great it's a great Piece of the pie to have, but I, but you know, but dealing with you know safety issues, for example. I mean, this is like this is one of those things where if you think about it from from like the like a, a social network perspective, you know, safety is keeping your making sure that your members' information isn't given to someone that they don't want it to be given to. Um, you know, whether they're stalker or or opening them up to to being victims of other uh, criminal activity. But if we look at something like Airbnb, for example, Uber, uh, DD, the biggest issue is, of course, is that you're in you're you're in someone else's space. Um, and DD, in particular, I mean, this, and this also happened to Uber uh, in several occasions. But you know, with DD in particular, you know, domestically, they just they never did a good job of of actually. Taking safety seriously, or at least from what we can see, they haven't done that. Uh, the big problem, you know, with these two murders is that you know these both both of these drivers were reported previously to customer service, but it, what it looks like is that the 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 issue was not escalated properly from customer service, which was an outsourced uh, call center to uh, DD operations, and that's that's really where where that failure was. Uh, and of course, you know, it's easy to to really kind of. Uh, to really beat DD to death over this, but you, but also you put it in a broader picture. I mean, of course, you know, any anytime someone is assaulted, anyone, anytime that someone is murdered, that's that that's a tragedy. I don't I don't want to minimize that at all. Uh, but if you look at it compared to compared to Uber, for example, uh, even even incidents that were not made public 
total incidents on the DD platform are less than than on Uber. Uh, so in that sense, DD is definitely safer. But we're also talking about China, which is a relatively safe country uh, compared to where where other other places where Uber is operating. And so I think that you know, with with DD and the safety issues is that they never they never quite took it seriously enough. And it's going to take a lot uh, to get to get public trust back, especially at a time where we've talked before. Uh, there, there are now more competitors. Again, not as aggressive. There is, there's not going to be a subsidy war, but you do have other players, other established players, kind of eating in to to uh, to, to the ride hailing market now. Mm, it'll be interesting to see where things go as we. Uh, I think it. Everyone is saying the same thing. You know, 2019 is going to be. Uh, it's it's. Uh, going to be a cold year. It's the, the winter has arrived. And, and so the, the good times are over for, these, uh, for many of these tech giants in terms of easy funding, in terms of high user growth, in terms of a robust economy. Yeah, so DD is going yeah, to be an interesting year, not just for them, but for, for many others who are you know, having their models questioned in terms of profitability yeah. and sustainability. I think it's great. I, I do think that that it might end up being a net negative for for consumers. Like so, DD, for example, is probably going to get more expensive. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, it, it's 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 one of those things where I really hate hype. I hate hype cycles. They're so annoying. And people ask me like, you know, so what do you think about this company? I'm like, well, it makes no sense. But they look really good. Yeah. But if you look at actually what they're doing, the product itself makes no sense or or, or whatever. And so I, I I like I mean I end up being a curmudgeon during during these hype cycles, and so having having a downturn is actually it's actually really nice to a certain degree because literally everything has to come back down to earth and you have to start dealing with fundamentals and you have to start looking at 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 what actually is the business model and actually can it can it be successful, and so I, I'm looking forward to it and at least in terms of you know my role as uh, editor in chief of TechNode uh, as a consumer probably not so much because things are going to be a bit more difficult. But at the very least, you know, we'll have you know tech marketers less likely to uh, dupe people into believing things that just aren't aren't possible. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, have, to play devil's advocate to that point, I mean, uh, yeah. So I've just got it in my mind because I've been doing this book recently. But you know, going back to the very early days of like Tencent in two thousand and one, you know, they had. Millions and millions of users. Uh, everyone was using their QQ product all the time, but absolutely no business model, right? And you could have easily, I think, they were at that time being questioned in exact in similar ways. Like, you know, this this company just doesn't have a business, right? They've just got something that people like, but it doesn't mean that it's actually valuable. Um, and I think that you know, eventually there was an innovation. They kept, they le- they learned how to make money through value added services, right? Which Actually, was they copied from South Korea, not from the not not from Silicon Valley, because Silicon Valley hadn't worked out how to monetize messaging, right? Um, and still to this day, it's not something that Facebook, for example, monetizes very well at all. So, yeah, I mean, there can be um, you can look at it and say, as long as these services have large user bases, they are providing some value, then they do have hope, and you know, there can be. Innovations that happen and, and things that come along. Uh, I think you know, to a, a company that comes to mind would be Xiaomi. Actually, for this, that I mm-hmm. think eventually mm-hmm. Xiaomi will. Um, I'm not confident on their business today, but I am confident that um, <laughs> they have their fingers in enough pies and they have uh, smart enough higher management that eventually something lucrative will pop out and and they'll be yeah. Um, so you know, we'll, we'll see. But uh, to be honest, nobody really knows. So, <laughs> you know. Yes, but also, I mean, I would say I would say something very, very similar about DD as well. You know, so so the point the point is not to to say that that DD is going to fail. Certainly not. Uh, I think that they've they've proven to be uh, again similar to to Xiaomi and similar to a lot of these these giants. Um, their leadership is extremely smart, and they're 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 very aggressive uh, as well. And so, what that means is that yes, this is going to be a hard time for them. But I do think that they will pull through. Whether or not they become a giant, uh, as the, the, the question that you were asking before, I think, think is a really uh, interesting question to, to ask, and it'll be interesting to see how that does play out. Uh, you know, they, I mean, it might turn; they might turn into a kind of a kind of a Baidu. Uh, I do think, however, that DD, in some ways, their leadership has shown themselves to be a bit smarter uh, than Baidu's leadership has in the past. They may not have the same types of uh, the type, types of strategic problems. 
but at the same time, I mean, you know, DD is not going away. Uh, it's just really a question of how do they deal with, you know, their own mistakes, uh, but then the slowing economy and, uh, and and more kind of smaller competitors. You know, because Meituan, you know, they've been in the market for for a little while now, a little bit more than a year. Uh, the only reason that they didn't expand aggressively was because of regulation. So, you know, reg- municipal regulators uh, were just very wary of of, of giving license to uh, to another company. They didn't want things to get crazy again. Uh, and so it was only, you know, in the last few months that Meituan actually got approval to operate here in Beijing. They've been in Shanghai for about a year already. So, you know, I think that that, that DD, it's, it's really just a question of how bad is it going to be? Uh, and I don't think, honestly, I don't think it's going to be uh, that bad. Uh, the real question is then, of course, um, are they able to, to turn a profit within the next year, uh, which doesn't seem likely. Interesting that you compare them to Baidu, actually. Uh, I think there is some parallel there because Baidu uh, was in a situation that once Google left the market, that they were basically handed uh, a monopoly, right? And, uh, yeah. and so DD is also kind of in a similar situation. They're, they're not quite a monopoly, but they do have a very strong market position. So, you know, from if you look at from Baidu's perspective, I did uh, read something recently, someone saying that they actually Robin Lee was in some ways a little bit disappointed because Google left the market. He knew that when when there was no competition, his his staff, his his teams would get lazy. Yeah, and they would they would lose lose their edge. Whether that's true or not, I mean, it's certainly true that that has happened. I feel like that um, when the forces of competition uh, are, are are not there anymore, then um, then teams tend to get lazy and uh, organizations tend to get a little bit sort of fossilized. Uh, internal politics tends to take precedent over, um, you know. Competing, totally. so all of these dynamics don't play well, and I, I think for DD as well, you could probably see a little bit of that creeping in. They, let me say, they outside of China, their their options are limited, but inside China, you know, they're they're in a situation with market dominance. So it's not, those dynamics don't play too well, actually, for for, for them either. Yeah, exactly. And then you know, competition has been great for for TechNode. Uh, it's been great for for our podcast. And I do think that um, you know, having having you know people who who are doing something similar uh, and doing things different. I mean, on the one hand, it's pressure on you to get better, uh, but then also you get you get a lot of really interesting ideas, and you're able to iterate. Uh, I think a little bit uh, a little bit better. Yeah, the the media space the media space around Chinese tech is is definitely. Uh, um picked up very considerably in the last two years. But Matt, I think that's about all the time that we have. I do want to give a quick plug to um, an event that Technode is doing in May. It's We're calling it Emerge by Technode. We're looking to bring together a diverse group of, of stakeholders and audience members to really take a deep dive into uh, technology in China. That's going to be May 23rd in Shanghai. So uh, stay tuned and we'll have more information later. Later.